Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, I want to read verses 12 through 16 to start out with, and we'll make our way through the remaining part of this chapter. Beginning with verse 12, At the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on the cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. If you agree with me on this statement, I want you to say amen. Our God is still in the business of healing. We believe that. He is in the business of healing physically. I uh, was really encouraged here a few months ago, many of you, uh, as I had asked in the service, you wrote out your personal testimony about what God had done for you. And we took those testimonies and we hung them around the hallways of the building and they were there for several weeks. Many of you may have read those testimonies. I certainly took time to read through those testimonies, and so many of you wrote about how God, at one point or another in your past, or even recent past, has brought healing to you or to one of your loved ones. And so I say it again with all my confidence and belief, our God is still in the business of physical healing. And he is also in the business of bringing healing mentally and emotionally and spiritually. He is still the God of peace that we read about in Scripture. And as Dusty has referenced this morning, and all of us know this to be true, we need his peace, don't we? Over the last couple of weeks, we have had so many in our congregation who have gone through hard times. We have had people lose loved ones. We've had some of our church members receive bad news from from doctors. We've had folks who have had family members walk out on them. We have had family members who... who, uh, Whose, whose moms and dads are, are concerned about their kids and kids are concerned about their moms and dads. We need His peace that passes all understanding. John chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Whatever trial or hardship that you find yourself in the middle of, know that you are not alone. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will, in fact, carry you through that hardship. He wants to give to you 
his peace. The apostles were about to have the fire get a little hotter underneath them. Let's look at verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Now, jealousy can make you do some terrible things, and it is a sad story of what is happening here. The so-called spiritual leaders of the day were not being very spiritual. Instead of being filled with the Spirit, they are being filled with jealousy. Instead of overflowing with love, they are overflowing with resentment and an intense rage. Now, why were they reacting this way? They are reacting this way for the same reason in which they reacted in this way towards Jesus just a few weeks earlier. They felt threatened. They felt like their position of authority and influence was going to be taken away from them. And so, what do you do in that kind of a situation? You know, if you are filled with jealousy, if you are filled with a worldly spirit, and you feel like you're being threatened by someone, then the natural thing to do is to try and eliminate that person. If you're filled up with this unholy spirit of jealousy, you're going to do something very, very ugly towards this person. Let me read to you verse 18 and 19 of chapter 5. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. And what's the first word of verse 19? But. I love that word but in Scripture. It's a conjunction that presents a contrast. The dilemma that they were in in verse 18 was not too big for God. They were thrown into jail for preaching the gospel, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. Hear me say this, folks. There is no situation that you will ever find yourself to be in that is bigger than God. Would you say this phrase with me as it appears on the screen? God is bigger. Let's say it again together. God is bigger and he is stronger and he is greater he will never be distracted with the rest of the world so much that he is caught unaware of what you are going through in your life no he knows every detail of your life he knows your struggles he knows your hurts and your pain he knows you better than you know yourself and he will not abandon you He did not abandon his disciples. They were thrown in jail, but an angel of the Lord appeared and opened the prison gates. Now, if you're a student of the book of Acts, you'll know that this is the first of three jailbreaks for God's people. The second one was Peter in Acts chapter 12. You remember, maybe uh, uh, that story is familiar to you. Peter, was his, his head was going to be on the chopping block the next morning for Herod. 
And yet an, an angel the night before frees him from his prison cell. The third time that we see this jailbreak from an angel above is with Paul and Silas in chapter 16 of Acts. They are singing praises to God as they're sitting in that prison cell and there is an earthquake and the prison doors are opened and they are free to go. In fact, the, the, the jailer thought that they had, had escaped and he had pulled his sword. He's ready to kill himself and Paul and Silas are still there and they cry out to him, don't do that, don't harm yourself. We are still here. Why did they stay? They stayed because they wanted to present to that man the gospel of Jesus Christ. And before the evening is done, they have baptized him and his entire household. My point to you is this. Even prison bars are not too big of a dilemma for God. Your dilemma, my dilemma is not too big for the almighty God of this universe, and he does care about every one of us. Does that mean that he will always open the prison doors? Does that mean that he will always bring his physical healing to us or to our loved ones? No. And, and most of us have been down that road where we have asked, God for something. We've asked Him to open the doors. We've asked Him to bring His healing. And the answer that we received was different than what we were asking for. And what do we do with that? We hold on to Him. We trust Him because we realize that He is God and we are not. And sometimes His ways are higher than our ways. We cannot fully understand Him. We cannot uh, know everything of what direction He is going with us. And yet we know that He cares about us. <laughs> this is one... I'll never forget. A week ago yesterday, I sat in the front room with Connie Billions. My wife, Cindy, was with me. We sat there on the couch with her. She had just, a little bit before that, had received news that her son, Tom, had died of a heart attack at the young age of 44. And we were there to show care to her and to love on her. And she was crying and she was hurting so badly. And yet, do you know what words were coming out of Connie's mouth? Incredible words. She said, God is my Savior. He is my Savior. And He is so good. How in the world do you say such a thing? in light of what has just happened. You say that only by faith. Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. I had another example of that just this morning. One of our, our members, Helen Hickson, passed away at 7.30 this morning. And I was there at her bedside and I was listening, I was watching as her husband and her oldest son Steve were holding on to one another and they had their hands on her and as she took her last breath, they were just 
there in the moment, and, and there was silence, and there were tears, and, and I listened, and I saw as Steve, the son, turns to his dad, Richard, and he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make our paths straight. Wow. How can one say such a thing in light of what has just happened? And my answer to that is simply this. Only by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, Paul says. He is good even when bad things happen to good people. He is Good, even when our eyes cannot see His goodness and and we really can't figure out what His plan is, we say by faith and we know by faith that He is a good God. In our text, He chose to free the apostles from jail this time. Catch that, this time. Chapter 12 will be a different story. Chapter 12, in the early part of that chapter, one of Jesus' most trusted followers falls to the sword, James. But this time, in chapter 5, the Lord chooses to free His apostles. Let me read to you verses 19 and 20. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. They were not to go and hide. They were not to go and find a hole and crawl into it until things cooled off a little bit. No, the angel said to them, You go... From here, and you you go to the temple and you preach the whole message of this life. I like how the New Living Translation treats this verse. It says, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. Well, this message that we have here about Jesus is life for people. It's like throwing a life preserver to someone who's drowning. If you were standing on the the side of a swimming pool and you're watching into the water and you see someone drowning, what, what will you do? You've got a life preserver sitting right here. What would you do with a life preserver? Wouldn't you grab it and just and throw it out to them? Sure you would. Every single one of us would do that. That would be the right thing for us to do. They're drowning, they need help, and so we give to them the help that they need. And wouldn't that be the right thing for us to do spiritually as we think about people drowning in their sin and they're, they're going to go under and they're, going, they're headed towards hell and we have the life preserver, we have Jesus whom we can give to them, we have this message of life that we can give to them We should do that. But it doesn't make sense that we wouldn't do that. He's entrusted to us this message of life and we must share it with those people who are drowning 
in their sin. The apostles here did what they were told to do. Verse 21, upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now, I don't know if they had gotten much sleep through the night. I'm not sure when this angel came and broke them loose from the prison, but but they may not have had much sleep for the night, but the angel did not say to them, I want you to go home and get some rest first. No, he told them to go to the, to the temple and preach this message of life, and that is what they did. In the meantime, back at the jail cell, there is about to be some great unrest. second part of verse 21 says, Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest heard these things, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them... They stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Interesting. They don't want Jesus' blood upon them now. But do you remember what they had said to Pilate just a few weeks earlier when he was trying to convince them that Jesus was innocent and they would not be convinced? And so Pilate, he washed his hands and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. And they said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. And now... They don't want his blood on them. Did you notice in verse 28 that the apostles' teaching about Jesus has filled Jerusalem? These guys were passionate about what they believed. It goes back to what they had said in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 20, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Isn't it true when you're passionate about something, you just can't help but talk about it? <laughs> and I was thinking, who, who, who do I know that's passionate about something? The first person I, I thought of was Rick, Rick Masters. If you've been around Rick for just a little bit of time, you know what he's, one thing he's passionate about is the Royals. And he'll talk about them. That conversation somehow will get around to royal blue and he'll talk about them and, and you know he's passionate about them. That's, that's a part of his conversation. I was thinking back to a few years ago 
when some of Cindy's family vacationed together to Colorado, and Cindy and I were a part of that group that went, and we went in, in uh, two, there were enough of us that we needed a couple of vehicles, and the guys rode in one vehicle, and the girls rode in the other vehicle all the way out to Colorado, and I will tell you the conversation in the guy's vehicle was nonstop talking about cows and farming and tractors. I mean, it was nonstop about farming and cows and tractors. And I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm thinking, will anybody talk to me about baseball? No, it's cows and farming and tractors. And so, you know, I, the, the amazing thing to me was, on the way back from Colorado, back home, same conversation. Farming, tractors, and cows. We were traveling on Highway 70 back towards home, and, and like my father-in-law would see a, a farm implement on the side of the road and it would spur his thinking and he'd say the same thing and they'd have the same conversation they'd had on the way out. <laughs> now, it was a fun vacation, don't get me wrong. It was a fantastic vacation, but the ride out and the ride back was pretty long because these guys and Cindy's family are passionate about farming and cows and tractors, and that's what they talk about. You talk about that which you're passionate about, don't you? And there's a fellow here this morning that I love dearly, and he's passionate about guns, and every time I'm around him, the conversation kind of drifts around to the subject of guns, and I like guns, and, and, uh, and so... Yeah. Every once in a while, every few weeks even, he'll show up at my office door and he'll go, come out. And I know what's up. He's found a new gun. And I go out to his car and he shows me his gun and I get to hold his gun and I, you know, look and and somebody will drive by and they see the preacher holding a gun. (laughs) You will come to Jesus, won't you? (laughs) Whatever it is you're passionate about, that's what you talk about. And and there's all kinds of of passion here amongst the folks in this room. Some of you may be passionate about shopping. You may be passionate about cooking. You may be passionate about who knows what. You talk about it because you're passionate about that. And I'm thinking... All of this is okay. It's good to have these different things that we're very interested in and talk about them. But you know, as Christians, we really should have a passion about Jesus and this message of life that has been given to us, and we should be sharing the message of life 
with this community. We should be sharing Jesus with this community. It's in Him that there is forgiveness of sin. It's in Him that we have peace. It's in Him that we have true freedom. It's in Him that we have hope and eternal life. He died on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead on the third day. It's in Him that that the people who are drowning in their sin can be saved. We must give them Jesus because we're passionate about Him. Are you? Are you passionate about Jesus and this message of life? Verse 29, But Peter and the apostles answered, as they've, as they've been said, told by the Sanhedrin council, we gave you strict orders to stop teaching about Jesus. And what do they say? Verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. I could take time to just read to you the rest of this chapter. I'm not going to do that. I'll summarize it for you. The council was ready to kill them by this point. And one of the high, uh, one of the, one of the council members, Gamayo, gets their attention, and he advises them to hold off. Let's not kill them right yet, because we need to wait and see if this movement is going to hold up, or will it die off? Now, if it holds up, he said, then we can be knowing that it's from God, and we'll find ourselves fighting against God. And so, they listened to Gamaliel but they wanted to leave their mark on these guys. Verse 40 says, They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. And so what I want you to see is this. The persecution has gone to another level. It started out with jail time and threats, and now, the second time around, it has gone to jail time, and flogging. The flogging being talked about here very well could be the same flogging that Jesus received on that final night of his life. The word means to smite, to thrash, to beat, to flay, to skin. That's the kind of beating these guys received. It was a terrible beating. How did they respond to this? Verse 41 says, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Oh, wow. You talk about a response. Verse 42 says, They went right on preaching and teaching Jesus as the Christ. The persecution did not derail them. It didn't intimidate them. If anything, it gave them even more of a resolve to preach and teach Jesus. Now, here's the question I want to ask you today in light of this text. Are you ready for persecution? I 
I understand we can't really answer that question fully until it, it actually comes and we find ourselves in that position. But I do think it's coming. I'm not here as a doomsday prophet to you today, but I think it's coming. In fact, I think it's already here to a point. To what degree it's going to get to, only God knows the answer to that. But we need to consider this question. Are we ready for persecution? Are we rooted in Him enough that we could say, I must obey God rather than men? And we don't have to look very hard to, before we see examples of persecuted Christians. Obviously, across the world, we, we see all kinds of examples. We see pictures of, of men on their knees in orange jumpsuits and their heads are being cut off because they're Christians. And our church supports an Indian mission, Central India Christian Mission, who has story after story of preachers in their, in their uh, brotherhood who have suffered because they are preaching the gospel. Some of them have been killed. Some of them have had their house burned down. Some of them have had their wives and daughters raped in front of them. Why? Because they are preaching Jesus. That's the persecution that is going on across the world. It is real. But persecution of Christians has made its way here to our country too. Over the last few months and years, we've seen it in a Kentucky courthouse. We've seen it in an Oregon bakery. We've seen it in a Colorado school, and the list could go on. If you saw the movie just recently, God's Not Dead 2, at the end of the movie, there is a listing of 25 actual court cases where Christians' rights have been violated. Persecution of Christians is very real right here in, in USA. Now, it may not be as the atrocity that we're seeing across seas right now, but it could be even, even in the form of harassment and pressure upon us at work or at school because of our faith, because of the stand that we're taking. My question to you is, are you ready? persecution is your faith strong enough that you could be persecuted for it that's that's a question to consider or do you just kind of blend in with the world persecution could be a good thing for the american church you say what what are you saying it could be a good thing do you why i say that is Persecution tends to purify the church. It separates the ones who are for real from the ones who are just playing church. Nobody's going to play church if they know they're going to get persecuted for it. And so what we're looking for as persecution comes is 
that we will root ourselves deeper and deeper into Jesus Christ and we will withstand that persecution and we will in fact shine like stars in the midst of a dark world. And the church today under persecution can have a similar kind of effect as what the early church had on their society. I was talking with my brother-in-law Lonnie just yesterday. He said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, well, I'm talking about persecution to Christians out of Acts chapter 5. And he made a, he made a, gave me an insight that I hadn't even picked up on. Just off the top of his head from his own study of the Bible through the years. He said, you know, prior to chapter, prior to chapter 5, it talks about the church adding to their number day by day, 2,000, 5,000. There was a number beside it. But he said, you know, after the church started being persecuted, it's the first time we see that the church multiplied. That's what persecution does to the Lord's church. Multiplies because it's real. Our faith is real. And we are shining like stars in the midst of a dark world. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be ready for whatever comes our way. I thank you for the faith of these early Christians. Help us to grow in our faith. I thank you for Connie's faith and Steve's faith at his mom's bedside this morning. May we grow in our faith, Lord. In Jesus' name.